Good Saturday morning to you. I'm Katie Finnegan and I'm here with you until 9 o'clock this morning taking a look at the week in current affairs. This morning we're going to be speaking to one lady called Catherine, having trouble tracing her original roots. We're also looking at Studio Drop, an architecture and design project originally commissioned for the European Capital of Culture 2020. And we spoke to one man who's in lockdown in a hotel up in Dublin. That and lots more between now and 9 o'clock. to the programme. Now, during the week, we were contacted by a lady called Catherine, and here's her story. Catherine joins us. Uh, she was adopted into a wonderful family home in County Galway, and her mom died recently, Her and uh, but her birth mom, indeed, uh, is still alive and refuses, indeed, to tell her who her father is. But uh, Catherine herself has done a huge amount of work, including pleading uh, with the Chancery in Dublin and the Archbishop's Office in Dublin, but nothing has changed. The bottom line here is nothing has changed over the last long number of years, and that Catherine and others and those that have been adopted are given no information, medical and or otherwise, which is totally wrong. Firstly, I, I met, I was trying to find my sister for years, my half-sister for years, and I was given the run around and I was told that I'd never be able to find her. And uh, before I was 50, just when I was turning 50, I decided to get my original birth cert. Now, because I knew my mother's name and my original name, I'm able to get my birth cert. But a lot of people don't know that adoptees are not allowed to have their birth cert. So we don't have birth cert, we have adopted cert, which is very unfair as well. But um, when I applied for my birth cert, I got a birth cert back, but it was in my name with the wrong date and the wrong place of birth. So according to the government, I was 52. And you, and you thought you were 50? Yeah. So I was thrown completely and rang the Adoption Authority of Ireland and they got back on to me and they didn't know what the story was. So they had to try and find out. So I was left for two weeks without knowing what age I was, where I was born. So my identity was completely taken away again. So they got back on to me and it turned out that I had a sister that was two years older than me and my mother had named us both the exact same name and that's where the mistake was made. So I actually got her birth cert. So when so, when, when your mom had you, so you, you'd be the older sister? I know I'm the younger one. You're the younger sister. I so have then, to point that out. Okay, very important. So when your mom <laughs> had your important. older sister, she gave her the same name that she gave you when you were born two years later? Yep. Well, First okay. name, second name and last name. Wow, so I can see so, where the confusion came from, yeah. Yeah, so I can understand. But it was a good confusion for me because it turned out that because of this, the Adoption Authority allowed us to meet each other because the mistake was made. So they contacted her within a week. They were very good, I have to say. And I sent her a birthday card, a massive birthday card for every birthday that we'd missed. And within a week, she sent me back a letter. Now, they're very strict on letters. You have to usually look at them and read them themselves, like imagine. So... Uh, but she had put in her phone number into my letter. Which wouldn't be so the done thing left. currently. No, it's definitely not the done thing. Like, it's it's yeah. frowned upon. You're, you're very regulated when you do this. So uh, it took me, like, two days to ring her because I was so nervous. But when I rang her, she was in the middle of a, a shopping 
area and she started screaming and dropped the phone. She didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was kind of funny. But I have met her. I've gone over to England to meet her. She's come over here to meet me. And it's like we've known each other all our lives. It's just beautiful. But what a waste of years, Keith. What a, what a waste of years, yeah. Um, and down, down through all of this um, from childhood, you had a good childhood. You had two very good parents. Yeah. You had two I had very good parents yeah. and a great family, yeah. And but you still yeah, want, I want you to still be easiest of children, Keith, <laughs> to be quite honest. I think adoption brings its own issues and the sense of loss. I think they say that the sense of, of loss is still there all your life until you, you know, find yourself or find where you came from. Because I, I read in a book one time, it says you don't know where you're going to until you know where you've come from. So I think transparency is a massive thing in adoption. Massive. At what age, I mean, when you say you weren't an easy child, you, you had a great relationship with your mum and dad and, and towards you, your mum unfortunately died recently. Yeah. But you had a good relationship and your daughter had a good relationship with your mum. But at, oh, what, at what age did you start wondering and um, at what age did you start digging and looking for information? Well, actually it wasn't me that started looking at all. It was my mother. My mother was involved in the Adoption Society and she... Um, had heard that it was very important for children to meet their mothers. So my mother started pushing it at 17, really. She started contacting the Adoption Authority. Yeah, because I was going through a bit of a, a phase, I suppose, in her eyes, but it was just probably teenage years plus a little bit extra. So um, I think she wanted to see if she could fix that issue or help me in some way. Yeah. But I think that was her reason for, for doing it because she thought that getting me settled would settle me, you know. But if you found where you came from and then you knew you wanted to get to, maybe it would have, maybe it would have helped from there. Yeah. Now I have met my mother. I've met my mother and I've met my half-siblings as well. So you've you've met your birth mother? I have met my birth mother, but I was very, very young. I was like 23 and it was very overwhelming. Okay. To be honest, it was very overwhelming. And did she give you any of the details of your... Right. <laughs> no, um, my, I've, I, you have to deal with the social worker when you when you do all this as well, and the social worker um, just thinks that she had too much of a traumatic experience and too damaged to be able to relate properly with either myself or my older sister. So that was it, really. I don't think she and I was too young as well. I think I was very wasn't immature, but I just wasn't ready for the overwhelming feelings that yeah. you get when you do this. And even though the AI, in fairness now, they give you a counsel and everything, they do give you counsel, but it's just never enough because it's it's such an emotive issue that a lot of people have suffered trauma, both the mother and the child. So it's very hard to get a relationship when you've been taken out of a situation and thrown back into it. And then go to, go, go through life with me then. College, oh. you, you were... Oh. You, you, I, I didn't. I I was going to college and going to different colleges. I never really settled, but I ended up uh, managing um, a bar in Temple Bar, actually. The Oliver St. or the left bank, which is next to the Oliver St. John Gogarty, and I just used to uh, work in pubs and nightclubs. Then I ended up in Copperface Jacks. I'm sure everybody knows that one mm-hmm. in Dublin. And uh, then I had my daughter Chelsea, and I decided to come back to Galway to get her educated because I thought it was the most beautiful place to educate any child and to bring her up. So I rang my mother and said, look out for a house, and I came back down to Galway. So I ended up working in Boston Scientific in Galway, where I still work. 
Nineteen years later, so hello to everybody up there. <laughs> nineteen, nineteen years under the yeah. belt. But go back yeah. to your, go back to your, um, your birth mom now. Um, yeah. Go forward. I come forward to your adopted parents in a moment. Go back to your birth mom at this stage. So she's not. She wasn't giving anything. She didn't give an indication as to who your father was. Um, or, no, she or refused. Others. She she said that she would take his name to to the grave. And that happens a lot in, in adoption. You know, a lot of people think mothers would be ever so grateful to get their children back or whatever, but I'm afraid that's not exactly the case at times. And how is the, relationship, how is the relationship between the birth mom and you? There is no relationship anymore. Um, I end up really ill in hospital. And uh, the usual Irish thing, she was rang to find out medical information, which is really, really important to anybody adopted further. Especially when you have children, you, you figure out that you really need to know this stuff. Yeah. But uh, she refused to help because she didn't want anybody to know that she had a child out of wedlock. So that was it for me, really. It was kind of a case of, you know, he didn't want to help. My partner actually rang her and said, you know, if it was your own child, would you not want to help? And she turned around and went, of course. And he said, she is your own child. So that was kind of the end of the relationship. Even though in the in the last couple of years, my social worker went up to her and tried again to find out my father's name. And she still refuses and still wants to take it to her grave. And uh, she said that she'd like a relationship, but that she thinks it'd be too upsetting for the rest of her family. So that's that's fine with me. That's okay. Good. Now you've got the oldest... You've got the older sister, the half sister in the UK, and you've got <laughs> yeah. you've got yourself, and you've got your daughter, and you've got um, other family members. I've got members. a beautiful niece as well over there as well. Yeah. Oh, you have this image of your and daughter. You were saying to me yeah. last night. and she's a spitting image of my daughter. Yeah, they're both absolutely stunning girls. Like, but um, when I went over to meet my sister, a lot of my friends were ringing and going, "Oh, you didn't say Chelsea was going over with you?" And I was like, "No, that's my niece," well, <laughs> and they couldn't believe the it. Yeah. But c- come back then to the. Which kind of caught my attention, and that's why I asked you to ring me back, and you did. And then we chatted. Yes. Um, come back to the. Um, so you that's can't get a birth cert. Um, so you tried to get a birth no. cert, and you were told that they couldn't give you the birth cert because your birth was actually in a special book. No, this is a baptismal. Baptismal cert, cert excuse me. So yeah. I, I, yeah, no, you're okay. I got my birth cert um, at, at 50 then, and I got my sister's one, and then I got my one because they sent me out the second one. So I I have both certs, my sister's one and my cert. But then um, I just wanted to tie up all the loose ends myself so that um, in the future, all I want to do is hold it, look at it, put it into a box, put it away because it's mine. It's part of my history. And adoptive people don't have history. A lot of people don't understand that. We don't have any history. So when you're at a family reunion and you're looking at your uncle and going, that's my uncle, he was in the railway or on the railway. We don't have any of that. We can't do any of that. So I wanted that small piece of history for me because it's mine. So I found out, uh, my parents used to tell me I was baptised twice and I just never, I never questioned it. I just thought it was true, like, you know. Yeah. But I found out then from being on the Facebook pages for the adopted people that you're only baptised once. And when I said it out loud, I kind of went, oh God, yeah, sure, you can only be baptised once. So um, I got baptised once up in Dublin and my parents um, got me a blessing down here in Shum. That's what happened. So I, one of the women said, said I was born in St. Patrick's up in, up in Dublin, mother and baby home. And uh, one of the women said, well, that's the Navin Road Church, just to apply to there for your baptismal cert. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I rang and uh, I got a really nice woman on the phone. She's absolutely lovely. And I said, I was just applying for my 
baptismal cert. So I gave the names and gave the dates and whatever. And she rang me back and she went, I'm sorry, I can't give you that. She said, if it was up to me, I would. And I was like, why can't, why can't you give it to me? And she said, it's from the adopted book. I was like, what? But apparently there's two books. <laughs> so there's a book for normal people and a book for adopted people when you get baptised. And I was on the wrong book. So um, she couldn't give it. And I was like, I don't see why. So I pushed her and pushed her on it. And I was like, I can't understand. I said, because I'd, I've heard from other people that um, when they were questioned on it, when the church was questioned on it, they said that it was Tusla that said they hadn't, they weren't allowed to give it. But somebody had contacted Tusla and they said, no, either that's not their policy and that uh, maybe it was somebody that was new on the, in Tusla that had said it by accident. I was like, how is it? So each was blaming the other. But this lady on the phone turned around and she said, uh, well, you're just not entitled to it. I said, what do you mean, not entitled to it? It's my cert. So she went, I'm really sorry, you're just going to have to uh, go and ask the chancellery up in Dublin and get a dispensation to uh, get, get your search. But there's nothing I can do. She said, if it, was, if it was up to me, I'll give it to you in a heartbeat. But this woman was looking at a computer with my search in front of her. And she couldn't give it to you? And <laughs> she couldn't give it to me. So did, a stranger did, was looking at my search. Yeah. And did you get it eventually, Catherine, did you? No, I still haven't got it. I rang the Chancery in Dublin and um, I got on to Evelina and Evelina told me that uh, she would see what she could do and went into the whole thing of it and she'd see what, actually she said, we'll see what we can do about it. I'm not sure what she has to do with the church, but um, I got an email back then to say, nearly congratulations, we're allowing you to have a statement of baptism which means that they give you your mother's name, your name, and the date you were baptised. It's not your cert. So I messaged back and, and said, well, while I'm, thank, uh, while I'm thanking you very much for giving me the statement of baptism, that's not what I asked you for. I asked you for my baptismal cert. But the, the bottom line here from a conversation is um, that it's still, I mean, what's going on is still wrong within the government system and church system currently. And, yeah, you, like and you want that to change, Catherine? I do want to change. I want to be more transparent. I want to shine a light on the issue. I want people to understand that it's not a mother and baby home, the two mother and baby home. It's not Besborough. It's not Sean or Sabby years ago. It's here and now. And it's like things Continues. are only going to change if the public are aware that this is going on. Because, I mean, when I say to people, I can't get my birth cert, I can't get my baptismal cert, they go, no way, how is that? Nobody knows, and this is the issue. I mean, I'm a member of the Catholic Church. I'm, I have no bitterness with the Church whatsoever. I know a lot of people do, but I don't. I love the Church. I have, like, I, I know priests that are doing really, really good work in the community, okay. and so I don't have any malicious kind of intent towards the Church whatsoever. Like, But this is, like, this is kind of throwing me a little bit. It's kind of hard not to be a little bit annoyed when, when you get, come, into, come across this. Like, like, I applied for my baptism cert on the 28th, and they kind of went, we're only allowed to give you a baptismal cert in your new name. And I was kind of, but I wasn't baptised in my new name. I was baptised in my original name. But I think that, I don't think they were very pleased with me because <laughs> um, I actually emailed back and said, I think that the Archbishop's stance is ridiculous, it's immoral. Um, it's unfair that somebody's been treated like this different to any other Catholic. Yeah. I'm a Catholic just like anybody else. And I just said that um, I will gladly take my pretend statement, i.e. my statement of, of baptism, and I'll wait patiently for my real statement. 
And that was on the 28th of May and I haven't received anything. What we're going to do is we're getting on to the various uh, people and we're going to come back to maybe later in the programme, Catherine, as well. But your story, sure. is, your story is just so compelling that it's just unfair. <laughs> it's just unfair. But I, I we're, we're, we're waiting. This is for everybody, Kate. Oh. This is every adopted person. Every adopted person, it. yeah. It's just unfair. Yeah, and I, I, have no, I know of one person, adopted person, that has got her search, and I think it was by accident. And they're, they're, I think they're going to, of guess I'm thinking they're going to be quoting GDPR. But as I was saying to one of my friends, it's like, godparents, I think this is the issue, that there's godparents on it. Either parents or godparents on the form. But the issue is that, like, lots of parents have chosen godparents that yeah. don't have to do with later on in life and vice versa. It could be Anthem, they could be transgender, they don't want to be known. Could be dead, whatever, yeah. Why, yeah, mm. it could be a million one reasons why godparents won't be known. But that doesn't affect anybody okay. that's non, non adoptee getting their getting their baptismal cert. So why should it affect it shouldn't. An, an adoptee? It shouldn't. No. We'll be back just after this break with the rest of Catherine's story. Good morning, welcome back into the programme. Here is the rest of Catherine's story. Somebody mentioned with well, that lady meaning you. Think of DNA tracing and testing for family and may even find uh, the birth father. You've gone that route, haven't you? Um, I've done everything, Keith. I've done ancestry and it's amazing amount of people that you meet through. They're very interested and lovely people that are on the same kind of mission as I am. And I found uh, cousins that uh, from Canada, three, three girls and a boy, and uh, they've come over to meet me over in Ireland. So they spent the night over here with me in Ireland and then went off down to their travels. And the stories are amazing, absolutely amazing. Their mother was um, adopted at nine years old, so she knew who who her mother was and until nine, and then suddenly the mother just signed her over and she ended up in Canada. So I've met all those girls and in turn I've, I've found a, a niece that belongs to them for them through DNA. So they now have a new niece. Their mother also had a child out of wedlock and gave it up for adoption, and he died a good few years ago. But this niece now is in contact with them every week. They go for lunch, so it's all good, <laughs> to be honest. And, and, and has any of the... Um, I, I know we spoke earlier about your half-sister, indeed, because of the, yeah. the situation. There were birth certs and wrong dates, and you were trying to celebrate your 50th, and you, you were then 52, but because your mom put the same name down for, the, for your older sister and you, uh, mm-hmm. such is the confusion... But has it thrown up anything, or would you like to know who your birth, who your birth father is? I'd love to know. That's what I'm on the mission for. Like it, it's, um, I know I've gone back. I know who my great grandparents are on my father's side and my great grandmother's side. So I've gone as far as that. I know where I come from, county wise. See, the thing is, DNA has gone past the church and gone past the government guidelines. It has gone way past it. We can find more information in the space of uh, putting spit into a bottle than we have to wait for six years for a toothless to get back onto to find anybody. So it's all good and well with the government, you know, allowing... We're not expecting too much with this government allowing us to get our information because we just think we don't trust them. It's just a case of that there will be another block at some point. There'll be GDPR will be brought up. I just think they're waiting for something to stop them from being able to do it. It'd be brilliant if we did get all our certs. I have all my certs, except for my baptismal cert, because I went and I fought for it. 
And but there's lots of people, 80 and 90, that they don't have time for that. They're not able for it and they don't have the time for it. Uh, it's there to know. Has your, your stepsister indeed, um, so the DNA test that you've done proves that she's definitely your half-sister. Uh, yeah. But could she be your full sister or am I talking rubbish now? No, she's definitely, no. It's the end of, uh, when you do your DNA, your uh, DNA is counted in CM. So there's like charts that you go on. So it's like, uh, say, I'll just make it easy. One to 50 is cousin, one to uh, 50 to 100 is aunt, 100 to 50, 150 is half sister, 150 to 100 be your, your sister. So you can know by the Okay, the so you know by the scale, the area. Yeah. 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 So they, they definitely set in. And as well as that, um, I've gone, uh, an aunt popped up on her ancestry. So I went and dropped a letter down to uh, one of two possible fathers. So we've kind of found her father already. So you found your sister's, your half sister's yeah. father. I'm very good at finding everybody else's, just not my own kids. <laughs> but you've got, you've got spunk, you've got determination, you've got energy and even from talking to you yesterday and again this morning on air you're not giving up on this and but you want, no, you want I'm like a dog with a bone <laughs> I think it's uh, when I when I see something is wrong Keith, I, I, I can't help but just say it and I know people know me for being uh, high horsey as such but if if I believe in something I really believe in it but and hang I believe on that a, every child has the right to know but hang on a sec all you're asking for is what you are all you're asking for is your own information. You're not you're not allowed to try and bring anybody else into this conversation. You just want to know for you aspects yeah. of your life and who your father is. You know who your mother is and your mother is, refu- is still alive and it's your birth mother and she's refusing indeed uh, to give you any the detail. The amusing thing is, Keith, and I'll, I'll be slightly... I found out from DNA that her father wasn't actually her father either. Get which away. Which is another... No, I found out who her father is so your but your birth mother's, your grandfather father. on your birth mother's side is not your mother's father. No, nope, no relation to me. I've got a cousin of, of uh, a cousin of, or a nephew of the grandfather, supposed grandfather, popped up an ancestry, but not on my page. So I messaged him and said, I was just wondering, was your uncle adopted? Because that could be a reason why we're not a DNA match. And he was like, no, I don't think so. So I said, well you're definitely not a match to be, so I'm not sure how that happens. So I've been polite. So he went and did another test for me, and he's no relation to me whatsoever. So the only way that could happen is if my grandfather, who's down as my grandfather, is not actually my grandfather at all. Which means my mother's father is definitely not the man that she thought about. So your mother's, your birth mother's father is not your grandfather? No. Wow, and not her father either. I, I, that that you didn't say that to me yesterday. I suppose we didn't get that to, no. get to that aspect of it. Can, can I go back though to the whole Catholic Church side of things and your birth? Um, yeah, your, you have a birth cert. You have all of that, except there's parts of that. Yeah. But because godparents could be on your baptismal cert, now everyone and anyone could be a godparent. And uh, yeah. basically, when uh, christening, and I'm a godfather to somebody. I don't know who. I'll have to find that. I think it's my niece, or yeah, I think it's my niece. But but apparently, not apparently, I do remember from baptism um, that, again, you, you, you vow that you will keep, uh, you know, mind the person, all of that through through their life. Um, but yes. you feel that the GDPR situation, perhaps, identifying maybe that could have been in the home that you were born in or otherwise could have been yeah. put down as a godparent and that they would be in, in trouble over this. 
Well, I think, you know, I think it's, it's a very handy issue to keep quoting GDPR to people. And if you ask them what part of GDPR it is against, they can't tell you. Because it's just a thing that they throw out there. Oh, no, we can't tell you because of GDPR. It's like, uh, in what sense? And they kind of go, uh, um, like the first lady I, I was talking to in the Navin Road actually said, well, it's because we can't give it to you because, of, uh, you know, you'll have, two, you'll have two identities. I was like, what do you mean I'll have two identities? Well, well you'll have two baptismal certs. And I said, I already have two birth certs. And I said, and actually, it's the government that gave me my double identity. So, so far, I haven't killed anyone. And it hasn't. I haven't opened double bank accounts or I haven't done any of that. So I don't think that's an issue. Plus, you're, you know, quite, you're quite happy with your current identity. All you want to know is... Yeah. All you want to know is the history. And you want to know the history yeah. for your daughter and for your daughter and for your grandchildren, please, God, down the road. You'd like just to have that, just to have it. Yeah. But it just proves how difficult it is. Now, more than other conversations that I have, I'm a bit of a fighter. I think it's the background that I came from. But I'm a bit of a fighter and I, I, I don't like injustice and all of that type of stuff. And certain things just throw me over the edge. But in this situation here, I have to say, you're fighting for something with the support of your your family, your parents. I know your, your, your mom passed away recently. But I mean, you're, you're fighting with their support. And your mom started when you were 17. And you're still fighting in your mid-50s? Yeah, yeah. It is, and it's like uh, sometimes my daughter kind of laughs at me, and she goes, "It's your mental torture." <laughs> like, it kind of is. Would but, it be closure you know, to you if you so got simple. it? Oh, massive! That's all I want. I mean, it's such a massive, massive thing for anybody to know who their who their father is or who their mother is. It's just, it's like the whole, uh, you know, why are you good at music? How come you're good at maths? Um, in my family, everybody has brown eyes and dark hair. I'm the only one with blue eyes and my daughter. And when you walk into a family reunion and look around, they all have dark hair and brown eyes. And you can imagine what's that like, what, what that is like. That's on, your bir- that's on your birth side, you're saying they all have brown eyes? Oh, no, on my adopted side. On your so adopted side? Different. Okay. Yeah, so I'm completely different. If you go into a reunion and stand there, you kind of go, oh, my God, they all look kind of spanishy. And you're here with blue eyes. And it's, you know, you need to you need to have some kind of ground in yeah. So where to from here? Because somebody said uh, to the comment line that Leo Varadkar, where is that gone now again? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I pull up topic three again here. Uh, Keith has uh, said, Leo Varadkar is head of the government and in his role, responsibility to bring in the law to make the relevant information available to her. Catherine should get on to him from there. The issue with that is, like, I mean, we'd be getting, according to this, this bill, we were supposed to be getting our uh, information on that. But there aren't enough social workers in the world to be able to do that. I mean, it's all good and well saying, oh, you can all have your information. But there's a two to three year wait sometimes for up to six years waiting for a social worker. So, if, and that's only for the people that are asking now. If it's brought in that everybody can ask, you can imagine. Okay. There won't be enough social workers. They know that. So they're biding their time and they're letting it run so that it seems like a great idea. And yes, it would. We'd be absolutely delighted because that's what we're fighting for. But we're not holding our breath, to be quite honest. Uh, with all your respects, Keith, maybe that lady's mother was um, protecting her from not telling her who her father was, or maybe her mother doesn't know who he was or is. Oh, that, I, like, I mean, totally honest, Keith, if it was a case that you didn't know who it was, I have no issues with that whatsoever. Just tell me. And then I'll still be able to find out myself through DNA. I have no issues with that. Now, there's a thing called GEDmatch that you can go on and you upload your raw DNA. It's an American site. 
and you can do a test there to see if your parents are related. So if it's a case of people were um, worried about incest or whatever, you can actually go on that site and put up your raw DNA and they can tell you whether you're a product of incest or not. So I'm 52 years of age. I don't need protecting from anything. I'm well able to do, <laughs> to do my own thing. Like. And as far as I'm concerned, I am not, my personality and who I am is not defined by where I came from. So I'm able for any truth. I just okay. want the truth. Uh, if she does find her dad, he may not want to be contacted. Everybody should be respected there. Uh, another caller said, Keith, I respect uh, Catherine. Uh, I've been through the same journey as her and there's very little assistance for us. I find Tusla an absolute disgrace uh, telling me lies and otherwise. And um, many years ago, the equivalent of Tusla told me that my mother was dead and I found out through DNA that she was alive and well. We now have a good relationship. That happens a lot, Keith. I'm onto a lot of adopted people. And it seems, and, and far from, and people say to me, oh, the fathers, you know, where were they, blah, blah, blah. And it's like from the amount of adopted people that I've talked to, the fathers were never told about having children. They were either told that their child died in childbirth or that the mother ran away with an English fella and he was over in England. And the nuns used to actually send letters from England over to the parents to prove it, even though the women were down in Seanrath Abbey or somewhere like that. And the amount of women that I've met, and men, to be honest, that have gone to meet their mothers and fathers, it's actually the fathers that have welcomed them into the family. So that's a bit of a myth that, you know, the fathers don't want to meet you or whatever. And if they don't, that's fair enough. But at least they have the opportunity to know that you exist. And you have the opportunity to say, I exist. This is me. If you want to know me and my family, that's up to you. We're not pushing it. We're not making you do it. But it would be nice for you to at least know. And if you need a kidney, we might be here for you. If um, if you were sitting in front of, say, Roderick O'Sullivan, uh, the minister, um, Anne Rabbit, the minister indeed, Mary Butler, whoever it is that's responsibility for this, because this kind of comes under a number of departments, so it is not, it's not yeah. clinically clear. What exactly would you ask for this morning, Catherine? I would say that rather than giving us apologies and saying sorry for this, sorry for the past, sorry for this, that and the other, give us some action. Give us our information. Give us what we need and realise that what you, like in the Catholic Church when you sin and say you're sorry, you're forgiven. If you sin and you re-sin, knowing you're re-sinning, it's a little bit harder to forgive you. And that's what the government of the Church have done in this case. They've sinned, said they're sorry. They've sinned again, said they're sorry. They've sinned again, said they're sorry. At some point, they're going to have to stop sinning. <laughs> it's the most simplest way of putting it. And it's the one that people will understand the most. Uh, we don't have answers for you, but uh, there's know, a, a lot of support for you. So there is. They're really and truly. I'm just looking at comment lines here on the left hand side, straight ahead of me. And on the right hand side, a, a lot of support for you. Um, but it's uh, where you take it next. I mean, you're only, I, I, th- I thought, I mean, you're, you're officially 52. Uh, so yeah. you are officially, you could be 54 if you weren't careful there for a while. Don't say uh, it. <laughs> but you're officially 52. Like you're still a young person and you still have that fight in you. You did say to me when we were confirming stuff at half eight this morning, you said to me, would you have, you asked me, would I have my DNA test done? And I was offered yeah. indeed to have the DNA test done. Uh, but I declined it because I was afraid what would come out of the woodwork because we're a very small family. There's myself and two brothers and their respective families. And um, and I've two cousins... You can cousins. never have enough love, Keith. 
Interesting. You never have enough love. Loads of love, so I have done. Thank God for that. But the, um, and I have two cousins in the States, one that I can't trace um, because he's, I, I don't know why, and one that I do know. And then I have some extended families then in Uktarard and in Johishkin that, but they're all, they're all, they're all in the ripple. Um, but it's something that I would consider following a conversation with you, uh, that whole DNA situation, because God knows what it would throw up. Well, Keith, what I, what I was thinking of is, is for this morning, I was saying to end on or whatever, is it's it's Father's Day. What better time to buy somebody a DNA test? You may not be helping anybody in your family. It may not uh, have anything to do with your family. But an extended family member, you might be able to get them home. And it may help somebody out there. Because you can find your mother and father from second, third cousins, fourth cousins in ancestry. You can work back through trees and everything, and you have a good idea. So if anybody's thinking about do it, doing it, just do it. Mm. All it is is spitting in a tube. That's it. And you can be totally private. <sighs> you can answer messages if you want, and you don't have to. Mm. It's up to you. Good morning, you're very welcome back into the programme. Now, Studio Drop is an architecture and design project originally commissioned by the arts organisation Drop Everything for Galway 2020, the European Capital of Culture. We were joined on the programme by designer Jordan Ralph. The, the residency is opening on the solstice and it's opening with our first resident who is Maria Somerville. Um, she's an incredible Irish musician and she's going to be spending a week in the structure working on music and I think hopefully broadcasting some radio shows from the studio as well. And following her then there'll be a succession of various different Irish artists working in different mediums who will spend a week at a time in the studio working on projects and participating in this this year's studio drop, which is kind of acting in place of the, the regular Drop Everything Festival. And again, so will it ch- will there be a rotation every week then? Is that what you're saying to me? Exactly. I think it will be between every week to 10 days. Uh, one artist will switch up and then another artist will move into the space. Um, and again, where can they get the, the schedule of who will be doing what? And how can, they, how can they get access to this? Sure. So um, I believe if you go on to Drop Everything's website, which I think is dropeverything.net and there will be a tab for Studio Drop on the homepage. If you go there, you'll be able to find out all the information about Studio Drop and also the Instagram page for Studio Drop will have any information as it becomes available about access and visiting times to the studio. So you've designed this facility then on the the Iron Islands? I did, yeah. So Mary Nally, who is the, the curator and kind of mastermind behind Drop Everything, approached me last year about designing Studio Drop. And it was a dream project, to be honest. I've, I've always been really excited about tiny structures and small spaces. So when she approached me about doing this piece of microarchitecture, I was, I was very excited. And... We kind of wanted to, we, we, we went and visited the island straight away and looked at potential sites for the studio and kind of started having concepts for the structure itself. And it became really clear from quite early that we needed to do something that was kind of really relevant to the island of the people and felt like it was from that place, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So we, I kind of started looking at deployable structures, um, 
designed for harsh environments and excuse me one one kind of um one design piece that really stuck out for me was the south african antarctic center which is a beautiful kind of almost uh, spacex like design that could be helicopter lifted into space and dropped in the antarctic and so that was kind of a really interesting reference point to begin with but then after that we started looking at native coastal forms we were looking at Martello Towers and Cluckons, which are beehive huts, and the, the beacons you would see along the coastline of West Cork especially, and those kind of structures, and they would started to really inspire the design a lot. Um, and they all had one thing in common, which was that they were they're cylindrical structures that kind of taper inwards as they rise. So the, the reason for that is because on the coastlines of Ireland, obviously, you get really strong gale force winds and the cylindrical structures uh, kind of stand their, stand their ground in the wind and the wind wraps around them rather than kind of pushing them over. So that was that was kind of like, that was what really informed the, the shape and the structure. It's fascinating. So um, where can one of, can we have a look at it online? We can. Sure. So there, if you go again, if you go on to um, the Instagram for Drop Everything and the Instagram for Studio Drop, um, you'll find pictures of it. If you also Google um, Wallpaper Magazine, they've they ran an article about the piece where where there's lots of photos of the structure. And you can also go on to JordanRalphDesign.com where there's there's images of the structure as well. And what happens, by the way, um, when all of this is over? Then where does the structure go to? Sure, good question. So at the moment, we are hoping to find um, a more permanent site on the island of Inishir to move the structure to. Um, we, Our dream would be to kind of produce more of the structures and kind of have a colony of them where, where artists could come and spend time and it would be a more permanent home for the studio drop and drop everything kind of artist residency. Um, the structure is designed in a, in a very unique way where it can be kind of taken apart and put together like a giant Lego set so it's easily enough movable within the island or to a different site somewhere in Ireland and so well done to you so if they wanted to, if they did a good Instagram and just put in uh, Studio Drop or Drop Everything they can put it in from there and uh, get further exactly. details from there but it's a it's an interesting project and from there if they go to those two locations they can participate, they can see what's going on and they can follow it on an ongoing basis. Very interesting the whole thing and it starts off indeed uh, with the first artist in residence, uh, Maria Somerville, musician and resident host on NTS Radio and they're based in London and America and all over the world, Shanghai and everywhere. Uh, so well done on that one. Uh, congratulations uh, on it. Um, uh, designer Jordan Ralph, if they want to get further details they can just put in Jordan Ralph as well and get further details uh, from there. Jordan, good luck with it. Will you be spending a little bit of time there just minding of course the structure? Uh, over the coming months? I will. I'm actually planning on, on taking a week off work and spending spending some time doing my own artist residency out there. So I'm, I'm very excited for that. And I'm also heading out there, back out to, to Galway today, to the island, um, to kind of help the team put some finishing touches on the structure before Maria moves in next week. Good morning, you're very welcome into the final part of this morning's programme. Now, during the week, we were joined by Professor Lokesh Joshi from NUI Galway, who is explaining his stay up in quarantine in Dublin. 
I did, I did, Keith. And uh, I guess it's a slightly longer story because my parents hadn't been well for a while. Uh, but because of COVID, I wasn't able to visit them. And it's not just me, there are many stories, many people like that who haven't been able to visit their families for about 18 months or so. And then, unfortunately, my parents caught COVID and um, my mother was in ICU, but I wasn't able to travel. And then, unfortunately, she passed away and I did go to India. But the whole process of going there and being there in the middle of lockdown and when the COVID was raging and then coming back and then going through the hotel quarantine, I think I think it leaves an impression on you, which is very negative. And when did you arrive back into Dublin? I came back on the 6th of June, so I'll be so-called released this Friday. And what has the experience been like for you? You know, to be honest, um, I, I think it's, I, I've used this time to reflect on things. Um, but it, it, it has also brought me a sense of humility because um, the freedom we take for granted, the fresh air, the walks, everything we take for granted are taken away. And it's nobody's fault. I'm not like, you know, pointing fingers at anybody. I think it's just the process one has to go through. And um, I think prolonged, I guess, isolation, um, it can play tricks on minds, you know, it's a solitary confinement. You know, you're in a room uh, in a hotel uh, all day, all night for two weeks or, or, or 13 days. I don't think it's good for anybody's physical, mental, emotional health, actually. And is there any support, um, Lokesh, for your mental health and well-being? Well, to be honest, I get a call. I get several calls every day um, uh, from the front desk or from medical staff or from security. But... And I've spoken with other people. It just feels like it's a box ticking exercise uh, because they haven't been trained uh, to to take care of people. They've just been asked to call to a number X Y Z and say how are you feeling. And if you say, "Look, I'm going through this," I don't think there's any support. It's just they they call you just to be sure that you're okay and you haven't escaped. By the way, it's just so. It's just so sad, and when I saw it in the Irish Times today, that's why we, we called you directly. Uh, it's just so sad because you're a very, very successful, intelligent person who's lost a parent, who went to, to grieve that parent. You've come back into the country. You had to have a, um, you had to have a, a clear test to come into the country. And for you to say it's dehum- dehumanising and uh, it has centred you because you're in the same room 24-7, for as many days as you are, it's, I think I'd crack up myself in it. <laughs> um, I guess, Keith, look, we've spoken before about this thing. I've, I've tried to use this time just to reflect um, and be as positive as possible, be as optimistic as possible. But as, as I mentioned before, you know, at least I'm, I'm one of the fortunate people who will be free this Friday. A lot of people get stuck in limbo. But I do worry about people who may have underlying mental condition, other health conditions. They may be claustrophobic. They may have loneliness issues. You know, I'm not sure how they'll share through this experience. Not well, I would think, to be quite honest, because it'll only yeah, exacerbate yeah. it. Because in the middle of the night when you wake, um, yeah. you're there and you're on your own and you're thinking. And yeah. you're thinking yeah. again. And then, of course, you can't intermix with any of the other and you refer to the inmates, you can't, you can't, it's... Yeah, well, yeah well, you're referred here as a number, which is actually wrong because people have identity, their name is identity, not the number. 
What do you mean you refer to the number? Are you just a number now in the, in the quarantine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, you know, I, get, I, I don't really blame. I think it's the system. People get caught up in this, you know. So all the security guards come in and say, I have a number. Whatever with me, I'm bringing this number to, for a walk. I'm bringing this number back to the room, you know. And it's just a machine. And it, it slowly they forget that these are people who come from traumatic experiences. They weren't holidaying. They weren't lying in the sun somewhere. You know, they've come back with huge trauma. And then, I guess, to go through this process, you know, anything from the airport to the hotel, uh, I, I just don't think it's healthy for people. You know, and as I, as I, as I mentioned that, and again, it's, it, again, it's nobody's fault. From the moment we landed in Dublin till the time we came to the hotel, not a single person has smiled and welcomed us. You know, as if you've done something wrong by going away to look after your family which I think is absolutely wrong, you know? Um, and and yeah. so I think somehow the process has lost the sense of humanity and dignity. That's very strong coming from you. Well, <laughs> that's how I felt, you know? But th- that, hang on a second, that's your feeling. And you're on, you're on a break now, you're on a fresh air break and you're talking to me. But that, I mean, um, that, that's your feeling, yeah. that's, your, that's the way you feel. Well, you're waiting for a fresh air break, I'm being told. I'm just about to go in about literally three, four minutes uh, because you get three 10-minute breaks and uh, I try to make the most of it because really it's, it's lovely out there and just get some fresh air in. And how are, you coping with, how are you coping with the loss of your mom then? It's been difficult. It's been very difficult, Kate, um, not having seen my parents for 18 months and then just on the phone, WhatsApp, just getting the news, trying to stay on top of things. And to be honest, um, I don't think I've had the time to process it. And it's going to take some time because um, when I arrived in India, it was more about to deal with the here and now, yes. the chaos, you know. And then, uh, you know, how do I get back to Ireland? You know, because I have family here. My daughter is taking leave and all those things, you know. How do I get back to Ireland? You know, you arrange things. There are very few flights. You have to have several RT-PCR tests. You go to different airports. You come back. You're worried about yourself catching COVID, you know, you don't want to be sick yourself. And then you come here and I'm going through this. So it's going to take some time. Um, but it's, it's, I, I tell you, it's very hard to lose a parent, you know, or, or somebody in the family. It is. And then you're dealing yeah. with this here. And what you really want is you want your family, your Galway family, indeed, and your, your exactly. university family, <coughs> excuse me, you want them yeah. around you and put their arms around you yeah. virtually and yeah. all of that. And that's the support that you need. And you're that kind of person, so you are, Lokesh. You're a very personable person. And I met you many years ago, indeed, with Prince yeah. Charles, if you don't mind, please. We were <laughs> we were mixing in wild circles and you were doing the introductions and I was trying to confuse you. So, I mean, you're a very nice person. And I'm sorry that you're going through this because all you wanted to do was care for your family. And that's yeah. that's the human in you. Yeah, but I think the key, sometimes I look at these things, challenges come maybe to help us grow and become a better person and have compassion for other people as well. You know, yeah. so um, yeah. I, I'm, again, I'm just using this as, 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 uh, as an experience to grow, basically, you know. 
you don't know. You don't yeah. need an excuse, Lucas, to grow. You're a good guy, so you are. But you, <laughs> maybe you just needed this kind of grounding, as we all did when I had COVID and I was stuck and I couldn't leave the house and I was trying mm. to work and I wasn't trying to work. But that whole guilt thing, by the way, because I spoke to somebody on the phone during the weekend, they were a, cl- a close contact in inverted commas, and they felt like a locust altogether because they felt very guilty. And even though they'd done nothing, they had an app on their phone, yeah. they got a call, yeah. and like you're saying that you you. It's kind of as if you feel guilty for going to be with your family exactly. because your mother yeah. was dying and then died and you bid farewell to her. And there's no guilt in that. That's that's yeah. no guilt. Will you go for the air um the air break if you don't mind? We'll touch in we'll touch base you maybe later in the week as well. What time do you think you might get out on Friday? Um it depends when I can check out. I have to go to the security process, HSE process, sometime late morning or so. Is there somebody to collect you in Dublin and bring you down? Yes, I have a good friend who's going to drive me back to Galway. All right. Really grateful for that. That's that's all you need. And can you be reconciled and with your family fairly quickly when you get home? Yes, I will. I'll look right. forward to that too. That was Professor Lokesh Joshi joining us on the programme. That's all we've time for this morning. Keith will be back on air on Monday from 9 o'clock. And if you want to get in touch with us over the weekend, you can email kfshow at galwaybayfm.ie. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm just the pieces of the man I used to be Too many bitter tears are raining down on me I'm far away from home And I've been facing this alone for much too long Oh, I feel like no one ever told the truth to me About growing up and what a struggle it would be In my tangled state of mind, I've been looking back to find where I went wrong Too much love will kill you If you can't make up your mind Torn between the lover And the love you leave behind Your head and for disaster Cause you never read the signs Too much love will kill you Yeah.
comes the sun, and I say it's all right. 